Hey, welcome to Elements live stream or on demand, however you are watching and from ever wherever you are watching from. As a reminder, in the middle of the message today, I'm going to put up a slide with one question, and that's going to be able to help you to go take care of your kids or go get a cup of coffee or... I don't know, go get a bowl of ice cream, depending on when you're watching, whatever it is, pay the pizza guy, but we'll put a slide up, you'll be able to pause and answer a question, maybe journal through that, take care of what you need to, and then we'll keep going. I do have one announcement for you, and that is next Saturday, if you're watching it the week of actually doing this message, uh, 9-19, September 19th, we're having Elements Fall Holiday Market, which you are invited to come to. It starts at 9 a.m. to 3 p.m. There's lots of local vendors with a lot of cool stuff, including my wife, so please Please come and buy stuff so she doesn't have to bring it home and I don't have to put it away. Yay! So, if you are watching and you have a smart device, you can download an app called Uversion. Once you download Uversion, you click on More and then Events in Uversion. We will come up by GPS in your smart device if you live in our local area. If not, type in 93455 and you will get the sermon notes, the verses, the questions, the announcements, everything that goes with today's message. My name is Aaron. I am one of the pastors here. And if you would like to, you can stand with me for the reading of God's Word. This is Acts 26, verses 20. 27 to 29, and you might be thinking, we read these last week. Yes, we did. You're going to be fine. This is Acts 26, verses 27 to 29, and it says, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? And Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. Let's pray. Uh, Father, we ask that you would uh, touch us today as we go through the words that you are speaking to us, that we would learn to live lives that speak of your goodness and your grace, and no matter what situation we find ourselves in, whether it be chains or whatever it is in our lives today via COVID or whatever, that we would trust you and live for you in the midst of those things so that you would gain great glory. Amen. Amen. Now, today we are very near the end of Acts chapter 26. After Acts 26, there's two chapters left, so we're very near the end of the book of Acts. And I am not trying to drag this out in any way, but we are going to slow down and cover a couple things at the end of Acts chapter 26. Uh, One of them is how Paul has appealed to Caesar to take his trial before Caesar. We're going to look at that next week, because Paul might have been able to be let go if he didn't appeal to Caesar. So we're going to look at why he says that. But today we're going to deal with this whole idea of when Paul says, except for these chains. We have a tendency to look at Paul's life and think that everything about Paul's life was simply blessed, that everywhere he went, people listened to what he said about Jesus. And that was not true. It seems like every next step that Paul took, things became harder for him. But God was with him even more in those circumstances and taught Paul to trust him no matter where he was. At his arrest in the temple, which we looked at a few weeks ago, You know, Paul now sits in jail. He is accused of defiling the sacred space of the temple. And what is interesting is that accusation against him is wholly untrue because Paul went into the temple not only to honor God, but also the faith of the Jewish ruling party. He was being faithful to the requirements of the law for a Jew. Paul goes into the temple with the purpose of worshiping God in a very Jewish way. That's what he 
goes and does. Then there's a whole other group of people who go into the temple for the purpose of worshiping God in a wholly un-Jewish way. They show up to worship God by trying to beat up this guy named Paul and possibly kill him. What Paul has done in their eyes is crossed a line into a different place that he is no longer redeemable. It's kind of like our cancel culture today. Paul has just gone the wrong direction too far, so they need to get rid of him. So again, they show up to worship God in a very non-Jewish way, but it's also a very religious way because a lot of religious people do a lot of very mean things, if you haven't noticed. So open your Bibles to Acts chapter 26, because that's where we're going to be. And Paul, after this takes place in the temple, goes from trial to trial to trial. He ends up in front of a guy named King Agrippa, King Agrippa's sister, wife, Bernice, and the ruling governor of the area at that time, a guy named Festus. And they all decide to listen to Paul as he lays out his case of why he is arrest and waiting for his other trials. And what Paul speaks about is God's grace and resurrection and what God is doing in his life to make a difference. In Acts 26, verse 24, in the middle of this, it says, as he was saying these things in his defense, Festus said with a loud voice, Paul, you are out of your mind. Your great learning is driving you out of your mind. Now, I can honestly tell you, as a preacher, no preacher ever wants to hear that. You don't want to be in the middle of a message you think is great, and someone stands up and is like, you're crazy, and then everybody else agrees with that guy. Yeah, that guy's that's a bad day. You don't want that to happen. But why Festus says this is because of the culture that he was from. Despite Rome having all kinds of gods in their pantheon, a typical Roman worshipped imperial power and fortune and success of the empire. Much like today, uh, Christians say we love Jesus, but we also really like that life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but many times we place that above God in America. And this is what Romans did. They placed their comfort and their imperial fortune above everything else. Because Festus was first and foremost a politician, he worshipped power and materialism above everything else. I'm so glad politicians are different today. Anyway, uh, this is why he rebelled against Paul's words about Jesus and the resurrection, because Jesus and the resurrection changed everything about Paul's life. Paul was a Pharisee, learning, growing. He was going to be somebody great, but he gives it all up when he meets Jesus on the road to Damascus. The resurrection changes everything about him. And a sensible Roman, if he, if, even if he did believe in the resurrection, was not supposed to let that interfere with the rest of his life. He's not supposed to let that stop the direction he wanted to go in his own life. Being politically and spiritually correct was everything. It's a lot like politicians today who claim they are Christians or Catholics, and yet they will vote the direct opposite of what they say their faith actually teaches. They do that because they have not really allowed the truth to change and impact their lives the way that God is calling them to live. They think if I do this thing, it's going to be a negative way, so they continue to vote whatever way that culture says to go. Paul is someone, though, who allowed the truth of the resurrection to change his entire life, to change everything about him. And that eventually leads to his arrest and leads him standing before all these trials and eventually before Festus and Agrippa themselves. That would have been unthinkable for a Roman politician to countenance. And it's why Paul must be insane. All of his great learning and the things that he knew must have driven him insane for this to happen. 
It's kind of like about a year and a half ago. Uh, Michael and I were taking the fireworks down to the fireworks booth, and this guy pulls up in this car that looks like a spaceship, and he gets out and starts talking to us about physics and nucleotides and hydrogen fusion. I don't know if he knew what he was talking about, but he, I think he thinks he did. And then after that, he got weirder and crazier and meaner. And if he did go through school, apparently this guy's great learning was driving him a little bit insane. But Paul's great learning drove him to the foot of the cross to trust who Jesus was. And it changes his life to live in places of grace and hope and mercy. Paul was very clear in his intent of what he talked about. And that's why he looks at the most religious person in the room, King Agrippa, and he says in chapter 26, verse 27, King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know that you believe. And Agrippa said to Paul, in a short time, would you persuade me to be a Christian? Now, in the text, that could almost be a little lighthearted and joking. Oh, Paul, man, you're being so serious. I'll lighten up a bit. Ha, 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 ha. Expecting Paul to probably be like, yeah, I know, I know. But Paul doesn't. Paul's like, yes, I expect you to become a follower of Jesus. Paul said, whether short or long, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. And that's what I want to look at today, the idea of resurrection and how it's supposed to change uh, changes and except for these chains. Because sometimes I even think the chains are good for us. I think the hard things we go through in our lives teach us to trust Jesus even more. They redirect us. They humble us. Kent Hughes says this, the psychology of Paul's plea is beautiful because Paul is like Agrippa. You know about the prophets. And Agrippa, keeping the place that he did in the country and the favor of the Jewish people, had to say he believed in the prophets. And so Paul's like, you say you believe in the prophets, but if you believe in the prophets, they're going to lead you directly to the foot of Jesus. And that's why Agrippa's like, oh, hold on, you want me to become a Christian? And again, Paul is like, yes. And that should always be the reason for almost anything that we do, so the world would know who God is. I think in Paul's mind, it is Agrippa and Festus who are the crazy men for not wanting to be in restored relationship with God again. And so really, in looking at Paul, how do we go through these kind of detours in our lives and still remain true to the calling of God and what God is doing, the big story in our lives? Like, how do we navigate our chains? Because Paul says he wishes that we were all like he was, but without those chains. Now, that doesn't mean we won't get chains. It's just that Paul's idea is that we would trust and love Jesus, but hopefully not have to go to jail for it. Why is the resurrection so important to Paul? Why does he keep pushing for it to be understood by those around him? Because the resurrection is the birth of our faith in a whole new redeemed world. And that's one of those things that the Romans around him could not countenance. Now, I know a lot of people today think the foundation of our faith is this inspired book that we call the Bible. Don't misunderstand me here. Our foundation for our faith is Jesus himself. It is not the Bible. We don't simply believe a book. We believe the events that inspired that book. The gospel is not the Bible. The Bible tells the story of the gospel. What the gospel is is Jesus' life. He came for us. His death, he takes away our sin. He takes our death upon himself and his resurrection that he is raised to new life as we get to be raised to new life. Paul's faith in Jesus existed long before the New Testament documents were ever accepted, before Paul's letters were even distributed. Paul had seen the resurrected Jesus, and it brought everything he knew in his life, all of his great learning, 
together and it undid him and then put him back together. One writer refers to the resurrection like a birth certificate. And they ask if your birth certificate had some misinformation on it or it got lost altogether, would that affect your life? And in one sense it would if you're in America because it's a big headache, but in another sense it wouldn't because you're already born. You are already here. The resurrection took place before any of the accounts were written about it. The event has to pre-exist before the document. And that's what Paul is trying to get across. Agrippa, we have these historical books called the prophets. And the prophets all speak about Jesus and what God is promising to do. And now God has actually done it. Do you believe? Do you want to believe? Do you want to follow? See, that fact is what changed Paul himself. And he thinks it should change everyone else around him, the resurrected Jesus. Now, I've said these things before, but it's just good to reiterate this. That first off, Paul's message is a message rooted in Israel's scriptures. That is the prophets, that's Moses. The story of what God is doing is reaching its climax. Second thing is Paul's message is a message about Jesus being that Messiah. The one that God is putting all the world back together through the fulfillment of all Israel's hopes. Paul's message is also a message about the suffering of that same Messiah. Paul speaks about the necessity of it. And you can go back and look in the scriptures of how God said this is going to happen to the Messiah. And then Paul interprets that and he shows the suffering will be according to the scriptures, which means it is redemptive and atoning both. Then Paul's message is also a message that Jesus would be the first to rise from the dead. This is why Luke never ceases to talk about this, that the point of the resurrection is about God beginning this brand new world. All the way back to Acts chapter 4, verse 2, the first apostles were announcing the resurrection of the dead in Jesus. And finally, Paul's message was a message about God's light shining on all people alike, Jew and Gentile. That is, everybody in the world. We all get to come together. It is the outworking of the gospel which affects every area of our life. N.T. Wright writes this. He says, The point of the good news for Paul, Luke, and the whole New Testament is precisely that since this is the fulfillment of the Israel-shaped plan of the Creator God, the whole created order is at last summoned to worship. The whole created order is at last summoned to worship. Everybody, Jew and Gentile. And this is what Paul was preaching. Paul knows this because the resurrected Jesus was bound in chains before he died, just like Paul. He was led trial to trial, just like Paul. He spoke of the kingdom of God, just like Paul. And Paul knows now there are these two big obstacles to these people he's standing in front of him believing. And the first one is that message of resurrection because it changes our lives altogether. And the second one is the chains that he is in. So right here, I'm going to ask a question. Uh, this is where we're going to put this slide. Again, you can go do it and take care of your kids, get coffee, whatever you need a break. You know, pause this, write down this question, journal, whatever you want. But this is, this is my question. What today is something that people from the outside look in at Christianity and they find it, they find it unable to accept? that they kind of push Christianity away because of that thing. What would you say that actually is? So that's my question. Now we're going to keep going, because in Paul's day, it was resurrection and chains. And resurrection is hard to believe. I, I get it. Paul gets it. I think they all understood that, because when people die, they normally stay dead. 
That is just the standard belief, and it's true. It is understood in Jesus' day, and it's understood in our day. When Jesus died on the cross, no one understood what was happening. In their minds, hope just died. Hope didn't die when Jesus died because of what he taught. It died because he died in what he claimed about himself. His death kind of undermined in their minds all of his claims. If Jesus' movement was ever to stay alive, he needed to stay alive, but he died. Jesus says, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me will never need to die. But Jesus just died. What's up with that? On the cross, even as he's dying, bystanders are looking at him. Some are mocking. They're waiting to see if God actually shows up to rescue him from this torment. But instead, Jesus died. And when Jesus died, really, it all died. I wouldn't even say there were really no believers in Jesus after the crucifixion. There was just a whole bunch of disillusioned disciples. No Christians because everyone expected to do, everybody expected Jesus to do what everybody does when they die. You know what that is? Say it with me. Nothing. Stay dead because that's what you expect. Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus go to Pilate. They ask him for the body of Jesus. They place him in a tomb. They put a rock in front of the tomb door. Why? Because they're not expecting anybody to get up and come out of that thing. It's like, that's where he's going to stay. After the Sabbath, the women go and they get their spices, and they're going to properly prepare Jesus' body for burial, because most likely, when Jesus died right for the Sabbath, there wasn't time to do it. So they go to do it, and the women show up to the tomb, and they expect to find a body. That's why they bring all the materials. No one's planning to keep the movement going. Nobody thought there would be no body in the tomb. And when they show up, there are these strange emissaries there. We know now that they were angels, and they're saying to the women, he's not here, he is risen. And what happens? They don't believe him. They don't believe him. They still look for the body because they're not dumb. Even when the body was gone, nobody believed that Jesus rose from the grave. Their first thought was obviously, somebody must have stolen the body. At one point, one of the women actually runs into Jesus, but doesn't even recognize him because they're not expecting to find Jesus. In John 20, verse 15, she says to Jesus, Sir, if you have carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Why? Because they don't expect Jesus to be alive. Open to Acts chapter 1. Well, Acts chapter 1. Now, before the resurrection, again, there was no church, no Christians, just a bunch of disillusioned, broken-hearted, one-time followers of Jesus, kind of ex-followers of Jesus. They could have started their own support group in that little upper room area. But then Jesus starts meeting with people. You know, a couple of the women here, a couple of people here on this road to Emmaus, uh, his disciples in this room. He eventually meets with 500 people at once. He keeps showing himself, and then people start to re-follow. And they still didn't completely get what the resurrection meant. So in Acts chapter 1, verse 6, they're all hanging out with Jesus at one point after the resurrection, and they look at him and they ask him, Lord, will you at this time restore the kingdom to Israel? What they're asking for is, is now's the time for war? Is now the time to kick all the Romans out? And Jesus is probably like, oh my goodness, guys, what is your hang up with this? You're like Christians 2,000 years from now, you know? They, they think it's about conquest, about making their country great again and kicking everybody out. They have, their view is not on the gospel and God's redemptive work in the world. Their view is still on themselves. The disciples aren't understanding resurrection. Israelites in Jerusalem were waiting for that political, military leader who would lead them in revolt against Rome. 
They want somebody who will not just overthrow Rome, but also clean up the corruption in their own temple because it was under Roman power. This is why a few weeks ago, when Paul gets arrested in the temple and starts getting beat up, that Roman garrison can get there just like that because they built a fortress that overlooked the temple, that overlooked the church, so they could say, don't do anything we don't want you to do. Don't get out of hand because we'll get in there and we will take you out because Rome was in control of everything. So they want someone to step forward and take Israel to a place of freedom where it could occupy its rightful place as God's chosen people in the world that everyone would envy them, looking at their country. And so the scene in Acts chapter 1 takes place in a little as a week after Jesus was crucified. That's how close it is. That would just be like two weeks after Palm Sunday. When Palm Sunday comes before Jesus was crucified, he goes into Jerusalem, he's riding a donkey. A donkey is for the purpose of peace. A horse would have been for war, so he's on a donkey for peace. And the crowds are all worked up going, yeah, hail to the king, baby. Hail to the king. This is the guy. Viva revolution. Let's take, take these people out, these Romans. Get them gone. But what does Jesus do? He doesn't call an army. He doesn't revolt. He wouldn't even directly tell the crowds that he was the Messiah because they had so much misunderstood what that even meant. And the only time that Jesus will openly, without any hesitation, take that title upon himself a Messiah and King is when it is too late to save him. When he is in the hands of the chief priests and Pilate, when no one can rise to defend him, when an army cannot rise, Jesus finally gives a definitive answer to be the Messiah. When there is no chance of his words being misinterpreted as a military figure, he will finally say, yes, Pilate, that's me. I am the one that they have all been waiting for. I am their king. And what happens after Jesus says this? Death. He dies. But then what happens? Resurrection. Resurrection happens, and they still miss it. And instead of understanding the new world that God is inaugurating on the first day of a week with Jesus rising from the grave, they're like, oh, Jesus is like Wolverine. He's got the X healing factor and no one can kill him now. Now Jesus is going to kill all those people. All those people must be in so much trouble now. They ask their risen Messiah, are you now going to go and kill everybody who killed you? I mean, this is Jesus who just died at the hands of his enemies for the sake of his enemies. And they say, Oh, are you going to crush them now? You know, those people that you say you just died for? You're going to give us a whole new world. What is Jesus' response? Acts chapter 1, verses 7 and 8. He said to them, It is not for you to know the times or the seasons that the Father has fixed by his own authority. Basically, that means know and calm down just a little bit. Uh, one, One writer says, Speculation about the end of the world doesn't seem interesting to Jesus. And I love that. So they say, are you going to take him out and give us the world now? So Jesus says, no, but what does he say? He says, but you, me, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And we'll talk about that a little bit more next week. But as I said before, that word there for for witness is where we get our word martyr from. How would that go over today when you invite people to come to know Jesus? Come to know Jesus and you could be his martyr to the ends of the earth. Jesus tells his disciples he has a completely different plan for them than they thought their plan for themselves was. And their entire country had missed it for millennia, just like a lot of us do today. And what you'll see Acts do is continue in the ministry of the early church and the ministry of Peter and Philip and Stephen and Paul. And you keep seeing God come in and redirect them each step of the way so they would get it. 
And this is why Paul was arrested. He keeps preaching now a new understanding of the establishment of the kingdom of God in the world. And what does it begin with? Cross and resurrection. Jesus promises mission and life and hope and grace, but he also promises chains. He also promises chains. Like you get all the way to the end of the book of Acts, and not to steal my thunder there, but the last two verses in Acts go like this, Acts 28, verses 30 and 31. He, that's Paul, lived there, that's Rome, two whole years at his own own expense. It's at his own expense because he's still in prison and the Romans don't take care of you. And welcomed all who came to him, proclaiming the kingdom of God and teaching about the Lord Jesus Christ with all boldness and without hindrance. The entire book of Acts ends with Paul proclaiming the kingdom of God in a Gentile nation of people who don't know who Jesus is while still in chains. That's how it ends. Well, you start with in Acts chapter 1 is in Jerusalem. And Jesus says, I'm going to give you my spirit. It's going to reside in you for the purpose of making you be my witnesses in the world. He doesn't say the Spirit's coming to make you comfortable and make you hashtag blessed. You get to feel good and happy all the time with more abundance than you can measure. No. He gives us His Spirit to empower us to be His witnesses, His martyrs to the world. In Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. And what that means is the story of what Jesus did doesn't just stay with us. It is meant to go out beyond as it grows. Jesus names the local areas, Jerusalem, the surrounding areas, Judea and Samaria, and even the end of the earth, which for them would have been Rome itself, which is where Paul will eventually go. And I told you this before, when Jesus says in Judea and Samaria, he connects those two places together with the words and and in like they're one place. But these places were arch enemies of each other. If you were in Judea and you had to go to the other side of Samaria, you wouldn't go through Samaria. You would go around it, adding many days to your trip to get to the other side because you didn't want to be around those people. Doesn't that sound like our political discourse today? We just want to write people off all the time rather than seeing where we might have some common ground to come together and speak about the gospel. We just want to write each other off. And Jesus says, you don't get to do that because I'm sending you to everybody. Even when he says to the ends of the earth, for that would be for us, you know, people out there who have all kinds of weird, bizarre practices that we don't like and that doesn't honor God, we still go with the message of God's grace and his reconciliation. Jesus says, I'm sending you there past what you think you know because I want all people to know me and love me and follow me and be in a relationship with me. Go. And why do they actually go? Because they understand the power of resurrection. Because Jesus is alive. Now, all that we read of in what Paul and what he did is birthed by an event. It is not birthed by a document. This resurrection is the reason every one of those early disciples and apostles would be willing to give their lives as martyrs to be witnesses to this new life. We believe that Jesus rose because Matthew tells us he rose, because Mark tells us he rose, because Luke multiple times tells us Jesus rose, because John said Jesus rose, because Peter says Jesus rose, because Paul says Jesus rose, because James, Jesus' own brother, said Jesus rose from the grave. And you know what you got to do to get your brother to worship you as God Almighty? Apparently raised from the grave by your own power. And when Paul meets Jesus, it so changes him that Jesus' mission becomes Paul's mission. All the disciples and apostles, they didn't die because they were zealous about some Old Testament concept. They didn't die because they're trying to establish a new power base for the world. They died because Jesus rose, and they were willing to give everything for him. 
Now, as Christians today, what we tend to do is we tend to focus on Jesus' death, the crucifixion of Jesus. And that's a good thing. It is, it is, that is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. It's an amazing thing. But the resurrection is really, in the end, what begins to change everything, the realization of the new life that that uh, crucifixion actually brings. It was the reason Paul was in chains. It is important what we believe about who God is and what he has done. And if we believe that God is only some sky fairy morality monster, that's going to affect how we live in so many ways. What we will start to do with others is push morality as a means and an end to salvation. We will many times focus on the cross and Jesus paying the penalty for our sins, which is true, but it will be to some overbearing God who can't ever let anything go, which is wholly untrue. See, God knows what we needed, and he did everything to bring it to us. We need our sins forgiven. We need our hearts and our lives cleansed. That gnawing feeling in the back of your heart, mind, soul that says, you're not good enough, you'll never measure up. That's what a broken relationship with God breeds in people. And this is why Jesus came to rescue us from our self-imposed life of sin. He removes everything that stands between us and one another and us and God himself, namely our sin. And by proof of his own resurrection, he brings us to life again. That's the gospel. That's the good news. In Romans chapter 5, verse 10, Paul says this, For if while we were enemies we were reconciled to God by the death of his Son, much more, now that we are reconciled, shall we be saved by his life. And this is what Paul wanted everyone to know and experience. And it's why he says to Agrippa, I would to God that not only you, but also all who hear me this day might become such as I am, except for these chains. So is that how you live? Is that how I live? Now, I, have a, I have a friend that died a few years ago from cancer. His name was Trevor. And some of you know Trevor. Uh, Trevor's a knucklehead. He's prideful and arrogant and many times. And you know if you met him. Uh, but Trevor loved Jesus. He really did. And I could see Trevor saying something like, Paul, I would to God that he would make you like me, meaning trusting Jesus for salvation. And Trevor would then say, except for this cancer. That's probably what he would have said. But is that you? Is that me? In whatever situation we find ourselves in. Because Jesus never promised us an easy life. But he did promise that he would walk with us through those things. He promised us a life of grace in him. And is our faith in the resurrected Jesus such that we would wish that everyone in the world would trust God like we do, except maybe for whatever God is using in our life right now to remind us of who he is. And I don't know, sometimes I even think it'd be good if God did use those things in other people's lives, because sometimes, as I said, the chains are good for us. Sometimes it do us a lot, a lot of good in trusting who Jesus is. And I've mentioned this before, but one writer says there's really a big irony in this room right now, that Paul was the one on trial, that Paul was the one in chains, and yet he is probably the freest one in this entire room because Jesus died and rose for Paul like he died and rose for us, for all of the real chains we have in our life of lives of restlessness and anger and guilt. See, because everyone... I think who doesn't know Jesus, we are all bound to someone or something in our lives. And that could be a myriad of different things. It it could be a relationship or pride or insecurity or power or money. We're all bound to someone or something. But by the grace of God, we get to be set free from those things. We get to live in new life. And that means we could be like Paul, even in literal chains, lose everything in our lives. Everyone could leave us. But if we have Jesus, or more precisely, Jesus has us. Well, we have everything, and we're free. 
because this is our own resurrection. It is our new life found in him that brings new life in us. And the question really that Paul is asking is, do you want to experience it or have you experienced it? Do you want everybody you come into contact with to know Jesus and be what you are? And so what we must ask ourselves in the moment when we say that is, so what are we? What are we? How do we view our salvation and new life? How do we view what God has actually done in us? Because, you know, we talk a lot about the cross, and it's a great thing to talk about. But the resurrection really puts feet on what Jesus did on the cross. It helps us to see the new life that he is inaugurating here and now. This is what gave the disciples the boldness to step out into the world, was the idea of resurrection. And most of those disciples ended up finding themselves in chains. Actually, I think all of them did. Almost every single one of them, except for John, you know, died a martyr's death. And that wasn't for lack of trying to kill John. You know, he just wouldn't die. You know, but every single one of them ended up in chains. And in our lives today, there, there are lots of things I think we could consider chains. And do we look at how God is teaching us and growing us in the midst of that so we would be people who are more bold in talking about the gospel in the midst of those things? And this is one of the reasons it is so important for us to remind one another of what Jesus did. And this is why it's important for us at Element every week that we talk about communion. Now, I know we're separated, and it's, and it's hard to do that you know, where you are. But if you do, communion is a reminder of who Jesus is and what he has done. It's, it's why you know, we're called to take that cracker and break it and with wine or grape juice. It represents his body and his blood that was shed for us. It represents his death on that cross which ultimately leads to resurrection and new life. It's meant to take us back to remember our great salvation that we have in Him. And if you are someone today who feels like you are sitting in these chains and you don't know how to get free and you want God to step in and help you to learn something exactly where you are in the midst of where you are, well, we'd love to pray with you. And if you're on the live stream and you want you know, prayer, you can write your prayer request there, or you can send a prayer request to connectedourelement.org. If you want someone to actually get a hold of you and pray with you, we would love to do that as well. Because we want to be a people who understand that no matter where we are, what, no matter what circumstance we find ourselves in, we are a people who can speak of the great love of the God who has rescued us. Why? Because we understand that Jesus rose. And he promises us new life in him. He makes true on that, promises, on that promise by what he did. So I invite you, if you need uh, prayer, let us know. We, we'd love to pray with you. Uh, you can also give. There's a giving link on, on our website. You can also mail it to us as well. But we give, again, simply because God gave so much to us. It's a way that we become a generous people because we love and worship a generous God. I would also encourage you this week maybe to reach out to a few people and, and ask a few of those questions. You know, maybe, maybe some questions like, you know, what do people around us in the world think right now is the big thing that keeps them away from, you know, Christianity and the message of the gospel? You know, and then what things in our lives do we wish other people would trust God like we do except for maybe this thing? And maybe that reveals to us that we should be a people who trust God more than we do in our present circumstances, especially during covid I mean, let's be a people who love and honor and trust God in the midst of everything. Because how we worship is going to be born out in how we live our lives in every circumstance and everything that we go through. So let's be a worshiping people who understand the great grace of the resurrection. Let's pray. Uh, Father, today I ask that you would take us and teach us to understand your great love that is given to us. 
uh, the hope that you have given to us because of resurrection. That we are, are not a people who have to sit and wonder what is going to happen one day. That we are a redeemed and restored people even today. And that we can live out the great hope that you have given us because of resurrection. That there is nothing that can, that can stop our God because you died and you rose. I ask that you would teach us to understand the full ramifications of, of what resurrection means so that we would live that out in the world in ways that glorify and honor who you are. Have us be those who would tell the entire world, just like Paul, that we wish that everyone would just like us except for those chains, and maybe many any times even in spite of those chains. Thank you for loving and saving us. And we ask all these things in your son's good name. Amen.